Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, depending on where you're seeing this from. My name is Vince Trujillo, and I own a marketing agency here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm not a firefighter, but I am excited to be participating in collaboration with Firefighter Kingdom, which is affiliated with the New Mexico Professional Firefighter Association, located here in New Mexico. And my host of for this show is a firefighter, and he's also the president of the New Mexico Professional Firefighters Association. His name is Robert Sanchez. Robert, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. Nice to talk to uh, our audience out there in uh, Firefighter Kingdom. Um, we Very have nice. a, a lot in store for us today. Awesome. Awesome. So just a little bit about you, Robert. I know you are not don't like to brag about yourself, so I'll go ahead and do it for you if you don't mind. Robert has been a proud member of the IAFF for over the 19 years and was the longest serving executive officer at the board at over 16 years. Robert has concurrently served as the president of the New Mexico Pro- Professional Firefighters Association since 2019. Robert, do you want to talk anything about that? Um, sure. I, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of our organization, the, the men and women, uh, firefighters and paramedics in the state of New Mexico. Um, I try to always be an advocate um, for firefighters, especially in the legislature level to try to get, you know, um, several acts uh, passed for us to to better assist us in our jobs. And again, proud to be here. Wonderful. Also joining us today, we have a special guest in the healthcare field. With everything going on right now with COVID-19, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Chelsea White. Dr. White is an emergency medicine physician in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's affiliated with multiple hospitals in the area, including the University of New Mexico and the UNM Sandoval Regional Medical Center. Dr. White received his medical degree from the University of Michigan Medical School and has been in practice for over the last 10 years. Doctor, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us today to help us go over some of what's going on right now with COVID-19 and some of the healthcare healthcare scare. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, help um, uh, everyone who is uh, actively helping others right now. Thank you. You are welcome. It is our pleasure. Robert, uh, go ahead and give us a little background on how you came to know Dr. White and I'll let you start the interview. Well, I just like to add real quick, um, you know, I've had the privilege and honor of working with Dr. White um, throughout the years and the consortium uh, program that he assisted in. And he's also um, did great uh, work to assist firefighters and paramedics in the state of New Mexico. So what better time um, is it right now to talk about the coronavirus doctor? Um, you know, perfect uh, uh, person to talk about. I know you've been dealing with it for uh, of the last two or three weeks since it's been going on. So I guess first, I, I think what the, the audience likes, would, would, would want to know about the coronavirus, the effects uh, of the coronavirus, and kind of the exposures to firefighters. And if there was a firefighter exposed in New Mexico, is there um, a type of plan that the hospitals are using to um, assist in, in those exposures and make, uh, still let us do our job without taxing the system? Absolutely, Robert. Thank you for uh, those questions. First of all, I want to stress what um, is is being, I hope, mentioned everywhere right now, but there is a lot that we just don't know about COVID-19 right now. A lot of this is still developing from uh, information that we're gleaning from what other countries are going through. It is called the novel coronavirus because it is novel and it is new, and that's why every day it seems like information is changing. This makes it difficult for us because what you heard yesterday might not be true today, and what I'm telling you right now, unfortunately, might be different tomorrow. So 
I'm going to try to answer everything I can with as up-to-date information as possible, but I urge you to please make sure that you're following the uh, Center for Disease Control uh, website and uh, as well as Men of Health, just to make sure that things aren't changing out from underneath us as we speak. Now, what type of exposure does the medical field have right now? What are the concerns in regards to, let's say, firefighters or first responders, or even those who are going into the ER for the first time? What type of, expo- what type of exposure do they have as far as being susceptible to contracting it? Well, as you know, uh, those of us who are out in the field in EMS and those of us in the emergency departments especially uh, share a, a common exposure to all illnesses. We are uh, all equally uh, faced with patients that have unknown illnesses uh, every day. So this is certainly not unique to COVID. Um, And in fact, I think the COVID situation, I hope, will uh, encourage us to be much more careful with all illnesses once Mm -hmm. the uh, COVID situation passes. Mm -hmm. But we are exposed and especially to respiratory uh, illnesses like this one. As, as we have uh, learned, COVID uh, is being spread uh, through respiratory droplets, which means anytime a, uh, any amount of uh, saliva or other respiratory secretion is aerosolized, it gets in the air and that is potentially uh, infectious to us. So anytime anybody coughs, anytime anybody sneezes, um, anytime anybody... Uh, spits when they're talking. We all do that. We know that. Um, that, that exposes uh, anybody around. And we in EMS and in the emergency departments are often the first point of contact and are often the first ones to note the uh, concerning symptoms that a patient may have. And so we may be exposed before we are able to uh, protect ourselves and before we are able to um, uh, protect the patient. Um, uh, and in both situations, I mean, with, um, uh, appropriate PPE for, um, us in the field and in the emergency departments, as well as a mask on the patient to, uh, try to uh, capture those, uh, droplets before they get spread into the air. Great. Thank you. So, uh, doctor, um, just being that, you know, it's probably not, uh, it's if, but it's when uh, first responders and firefighters, even healthcare workers, are going to be exposed to this, which I'm sure healthcare, healthcare workers already have, obviously. Um, what happens when a firefighter or first responders are exposed to it in the field and they got a positive um, for uh, COVID-19? So I think I'd actually take a step back from that. And that what happens when you are exposed before you get tested? Because that is, that is really the, 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 the scariest part. And I think that we need to, um, uh, first of all, realize that there are, um, uh, th- there are steps in place um, uh, to protect us. The first step um, for, uh, for EMS providers is dispatch. So dispatch in our, um, in our MPDS call centers as well as our uh, smaller call centers have all been um, uh, using special questions to screen callers ahead of time. And that includes asking the important questions. Does the patient have a fever? Is the patient coughing? Does the patient have trouble breathing? 
we were initially asking travel questions, but as COVID has become more widespread, uh, we're no longer asking that because that's not as much of a risk. So hopefully, if the questions have been asked uh, appropriately and if the caller has given um, answers appropriately, hopefully we will have uh, a uh, warning ahead of time that we need to put on uh, full PPE. And I'm sure that um, you, just as I, have been listening to uh, the uh, uh, the radio channels uh, back and forth, and we have been hearing a lot of dispatch saying put on appropriate PPE and, and, and telling about the risk factors. So that right there is already our first, our, our first line of defense. Our second line of defense is um, uh, us asking those same questions. If we, if we haven't gotten positive answers to that from dispatch, we need to be asking those same questions. And if any of them are positive or if any of them turn positive, because we all know that patients sometimes change their answers or may suddenly start coughing even though they said they weren't, we need to put a mask on them and we need to retreat and put our EP. What happens if you do get coughed on? What happens if you do get sneezed on? If you're in full PPE, according to uh, CDC guidelines, um, and that includes uh, face shield, eye, eye protection slash face shield, that in, uh, includes N95 respirator mask, that includes uh, impervious gown, and of course our gloves. If you're exposed to a patient who ultimately uh, tests positive for COVID and you've worn all of those things, you are you are safe. You don't need to be quarantined. Um, you don't need to be tested. Now, what if, however, what if you're not in full PPE and uh, you get uh, coughed on? Well, that is a uh, that is a that is a different situation. At that point, um, uh, you need to start monitoring your symptoms. As soon as you have any of the symptoms of COVID yourself, that's when you need to be um, in uh, isolation and you need to determine whether you need to get a test or not. I'll get to that in a second. Now, if you end up um, uh, with a uh, patient who is uh, positive, the State uh, Department of Health is tracking these very carefully. They're tracking very carefully who um, is positive and who has um, uh, who, who is uh, come in contact with those positives so that we can um, get the information back to our providers on how to uh, check themselves. Now, if you have been exposed, um, the guidelines um, uh, for you are the same as, um, uh, uh, as, as the general public. What you need to do is you need to um, uh, isolate yourself at home, which means not going to work, um, uh, and that means watching your symptoms carefully and you need to be checking yourself for fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Should, should though any of those um, uh, develop, you're going to uh, need to go get uh, uh, tested um, uh, as well. Um, the shortness of, sorry, should the shortness of breath um, uh, develop, you need to get tested. If you just have a fever and a cough right now, right now we are um, recommending that, uh, uh, as long as you're safe to stay home, that you stay home. A new guideline has just been released by um, uh, the state about when you can come out of your uh, isolation. Um, uh, and I will, uh, I will check on that in just a second. Um, but 
Um, uh, you, you need to um, maintain isolation unless you are truly getting sick. And this is what we are telling, this is what we're telling the public too. Um, isolate at home until you, you're truly having um, uh, severe illness symptoms like difficulty breathing, and that's when you need to go into the hospital to get tested. Well, great, um, great information, doctor. Um, like you said, uh, you know, information is uh, changing on a consistent basis, and you know, we need, it's our responsibility too, as uh, firefighters or first responders, to actually check the CDC guidelines and make sure that we're taking appropriate action on calls. Now, if someone with a confirmed test um, actually goes into the ER, what 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 do they do actually in the ER um, to keep them quarantined from the rest of the patients or healthcare workers uh, so they don't get exposed? What exactly happens? So that varies from hospital to hospital, but in general, patients that have either a known positive test uh, who now have severe symptoms or a patient who has symptoms that are concerning for COVID are supposed to have a mask placed on them and then immediately placed into a negative pressure room. There will be uh, signs posted on the door that explain that anybody who needs to come in needs to be in full PPE and we will try as much as possible to reduce the possibility of uh, aerosolization. So the problem, of course, with COVID is it's a respiratory illness. In so many cases, patients are going to need oxygen. In many cases, patients might even um, need um, albuterol. They might need to be uh, have an advanced airway or uh, uh, CPAP or BiPAP. All of that stuff creates respiratory um, uh, droplets in the air and makes things more difficult. That's the reason why these patients need to be in the negative pressure rooms. That's the reason why we need to be in uh, full protective um, uh, gear, but we also need to do what we can to minimize um, uh, those uh, those uh, droplet creating uh, procedures. Out of this is that for patients that look like they're having uh, trouble breathing and heading towards uh, needing to be intubated, we want to intubate them earlier. CPAP has been a tremendous help in the field of EMS over the last decade or so because that has helped prevent intubations in the field and in the emergency departments. This is the exception to that. We really need to avoid CPAP on patients uh, in in the field and in the emergency departments uh, unless we have the uh, appropriate equipment to deal with the, the respiratory droplets. So these patients are getting intubated a lot earlier than um, previous uh, respiratory ailments. Oh, well, great. You know, so I think, you know, our audience out there, you know, so these are questions that we get asked sometimes even um, in the field responding to 911 calls. And I appreciate that information. I think it's a, a, a benefit to the public. Um, another question, doctor, we get, we get asked quite a bit is, um, you know, what solutions really work to kill the virus? Um, is it hand sanitizer? Does it actually work? Does it actually kill the COVID-19 uh, virus? Um, and other than just, you know, the, the plain hand washing, I mean, that seems to benefit be beneficial more to killing the virus than anything. What could you tell us about uh, these uh, hand washing solutions and washing your hands? So what I can tell you is what I know from uh, 
following uh, the CDC guidelines. I am by no means a, um, a cleaning solution expert. Um, uh, what is being recommended right now is washing your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. And that makes sense. That's removing debris, including any sort of uh, viral particles um, uh, with the soap and the water. We know that we don't have a sink in the front of the ambulance or in the front of the rescue. Right. That makes it difficult when we're out in the in the field. I am not aware of um, the uh, the testing results on uh, commercially available products like um, your uh, alcohol-based san- hand sanitizers. Um, uh, this is what is being recommended right now. I'm sure that they are doing testing uh, to see if this actually kills the virus. But uh, in uh, in absence of um, a uh, sink with uh, water and soap, um, uh, using uh, the uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer is the next best thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So that is that is the uh, current um, uh, recommendation. I, I wish I was able to uh, speak with uh, more authority on uh, how well it works. Right. No, great. I, I thank you for that. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of questions out there, especially for us watching the news and even the uh, talking amongst the uh, first responders, you know, that's kind of the, the thing out there is, is, you know, what, what really works and what doesn't work. And I think the, the thing of just the unknown is kind of, uh, you know, tough for uh, first responders and firefighters, paramedics, you know, Robert, as someone from the general public, this is a question I have. How are first responders informed or how are they informed, you know, just as the general public would be? Or I would imagine that there's some t- sort of system for informing and cautionary measures, et cetera, et cetera. How does that take place? Or even for the, from the ER standpoint, Dr. White. So I guess that question is for both of you, if you don't mind, as far as how you receive your information and the protocol to follow. And in, in, when you say on a, uh, for an individual patient or just um, in general, like h- how do we prepare um, uh, for the day? Let's say, for instance, I needed to communicate with you guys about an outbreak in a certain area of the city or information just overall. What agencies or news sources do you receive your information and guidance? So I'll, I'll, I'll take that question if you don't mind, uh, Robert. Sure, absolutely. Um, we, uh, on, a, on a national uh, scale, um, we receive information from uh, the CDC website. So that's at the same time that the public does. However, on a local um, uh, level, we receive information from the uh, New Mexico Department of Health. There is a health advisor network that sends out um, bulletins um, on an as-needed basis to uh, subscribers to that network, which are, of course, health providers. Ah, uh-huh, great, great. So that tells specifically about things that are happening in uh, New Mexico um, and uh, in uh, certain areas or statewide. So that is that is really the uh, the, the way that things happen um, from that role. The local, uh, obviously, um, which is where a lot of stuff starts. Um, uh, that really relies on uh, the the agencies themselves as they discover uh, information. Most of the information, though, that we get, I, I think the best answer to your question is through the health health um, uh, alert network through the uh, through the state. Okay, great. So I know uh, specifically, uh, doctor, we've we've talked about legislation and laws um, that I think we can work hand in hand uh, through the state of New Mexico. But you know, one of the things I wanted to ask about that was. You know, in the in the ER for first responders, uh, requiring bloodborne or blood tests when exposed to bloodborne uh, pathogens, what what kind of legislature can we assist with or work together, you know, hand in hand with the ER physicians or physicians in the state of New Mexico and first responders, 
um, in the next coming legislature. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Robert. I, I am also the president of the New Mexico chapter of the National Association of EMS Physicians. And the National Association of EMS Physicians is the professional group for EMS physicians, uh, actually internationally, um, uh, that uh, are, are work hard to advance the field of EMS in uh, many different ways, um, including EMS advocacy. And a, a, a special topic that um, uh, we are very interested in, even before this COVID uh, outbreak, was um, uh, the ability to get um, uh, source testing for um, uh, patients that um, may have uh, accidentally or um, hopefully not intentionally exposed uh, healthcare providers um, in the field and in the emergency departments. Right now, uh, we don't have the ability to compel a source patient to provide a blood sample for testing. Other states do have legisla- um, um, have legislation that uh, compels patients to uh, provide um, uh, my blood for source testing, and I look forward to uh, working with you to see what kind of legislation we can get in New Mexico that can uh, help um, EMS providers and help um, hospital personnel um, uh, better better understand their exposure risk if they have been exposed um, uh, by a, a patient. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, so, you know, we, we, I, we've always worked hand in hand in the field and I could definitely see us working hand in hand in, in the legislature. And, you know, I get the good asset and, the, and we're, we're fortunate or, you know, I'm fortunate to be involved in, you know, New Mexico Professional Firefighters, but which also extends to the International Association of Firefighters all over the United States. So I know, like you mentioned, there's there's legislature out there in, in some other states that we can utilize um, for us so we don't have to, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel um, all the time. We could just get legislature and kind of adjust it and edit it to what would uh, benefit uh, first responders, firefighters, healthcare workers, and physicians um, throughout the state of New Mexico. So I definitely look forward um, to working with that. Um, I guess so, uh, last thing I wanted to ask, doctor, um, so what, what can we do next time just to better prepare um, the hospitals and even uh, uh, f- fire service first responders throughout the state of New Mexico um, so we do have a, an epidemic or um, that comes up again as COVID-19? What did, what did we, I guess, I don't know, what did we fail at and what can we do better? Well, I don't know that I can speak specifically to what we failed at, but I can certainly speak to what we need to make sure that we are ready for next time. And that involves the unknown. So that makes it hard to prepare, of course. But what we do know is that we are, as as EMS providers and as um, emergency department providers, we know that we are exposed to all sorts of diseases all the time, some of which are airborne, some of which are uh, respiratory droplet spread like we're seeing now. So that means that we need to be prepared for not just the next outbreak, but for the next patient who may have something uh, that is actually – uh, that we're that we're very used to, but we just don't want to uh, to catch, like the flu, like RSV, or like the next novel virus that's out there. So we need to be um, we need to be provided with and well stocked with all of the PPE that's necessary for this um, uh, this current situation. 
Um, but we also need to be armed with the knowledge and um, uh, just the general practice that we probably should be using this a whole lot more than we are on just regular old calls. The next time you go on a call with uh, somebody who has a cough, um, make sure that you're wearing uh, protective gear. Even not, um, hopefully in um, uh, an epidemic or pandemic situation like that at that point. We just need to make sure that we've got the um, uh, the, the, the protective gear that um, uh, we think is most likely um, uh, to, to uh, protect us um, for whatever, uh, whatever we're going to uh, face next time. Absolutely. I mean, so I think we all get complacent sometimes, even as first responders and, uh, you know, healthcare workers, um, about using our PPE. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, we all, let's face it, you know, we, uh, <laughs> sometimes we don't, we don't do it like we should. And definitely if, if there was an eye opener, um, for us to, uh, remember, make us remember to wear our PPE, this is the, this is the time that we've actually remembered and we're, we're understanding it more and knowing how important it is. I just think a lot of the times it just seems like it's not important, but we all know it's important for, you know, other bloodborne pathogens or exposures to anything else. So, Doctor, thank you for being on the show. Like I said, you know, it, it's a it's an honor working with you. I've worked with you in the past, and I continue to our organization, firefighters across the United States and New Mexico, want to work with you, and especially passing legislature. I look forward to it. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Doctor, and um, on this podcast for our audience? Absolutely. Thank you again, uh, Robert, for for having me on. I want to just stress a couple more things. First of all, the information is changing every day. Please, please don't use this as your only source of information. Please check the CDC website. Please check the New Mexico Department of Health website. Secondly, please wear your PPE. I know it's a pain to put on. I know it's a pain to take off, but please be very careful about this. It is really important that you stay healthy for your own health, for the health of your family and for the health of your patients. So that also means isolating yourself right now. I know that we're talking a lot about social distancing, etc. We are at a higher risk for uh, coming in contact with this disease and we're at a higher risk for transmitting this to others. Even if it doesn't affect us that much uh, personally, even if it's a, uh, just a bad cold for us, we could be taking it somewhere else. So that means that we need to, when we are not at work, we need to be staying at home and, and trying to avoid uh, the, the general public as much as possible. That's the only way that we're going to, um, as, a, um, as a society and as a community, to slow the spread is to slow uh, just contact with others. And uh, again, because we are, we are seeing uh, sick patients more than the, uh, than the average um, the average person is seeing we really need to make sure that we are trying to uh, stay away from uh, other people when we are off duty as much as possible. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. White. Thank you so much. Coming from the public, I can't thank you all and all the healthcare workers and first responders enough for everything that you've been doing for our city, state, and nationally. I mean, this is an unprecedented crisis. This is something that's new and handling it and seeing everyone step up 
is inspiring and actually very comforting to know that we have these kind of people uh, taking charge. Thank you so much, Robert Sanchez, for being a first responder. Thanks for putting this podcast together as well. We're coming to the end of it now. Uh, We will definitely be assessing this healthcare crisis as we go and bring some more episodes later in the year from the perspective of other healthcare professionals and first responders and their stories. And we're asking you, the listeners out there, to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Go ahead and subscribe. Give us a positive review and drop us a line to let us know about what you think about this uh, topic. Uh, You can also go to firefighterkingdom.com for more information on how to be a guest on the show as well. Dr. White, thank you so much for joining us. And Robert, I'm signing off for this episode. Good. Signing off. So Thank you. Stay healthy. Stay healthy and say, you know, we'll say bye to the firefighter kingdom till our next episode. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care from Firefighter Kingdom and talk soon.